Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This episode features David Luff. Before we before we begin, I'd just like for us to pause for just a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be in your presence. Lord, we know that we cannot be in your presence and not come away changed. And Father, that's what we want. We want to be changed. We want to be changed into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And Lord, your word, Father, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Father, we pray tonight that as the word of God comes forth, that you will breathe your life into it afresh and anew, anoint it, Father, for the good of your people, the sheep of your pasture. Lord, we we depend upon you so much for everything. We depend upon you to open the word to our hearts, Lord and to write it on the tablets of our hearts. We ask your anointing to be present upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we are living in troubled times, and it is easy for us to become unsettled and at times maybe a bit confused, knocked off balance, so to speak. It is in times like this that it is easy for us to lose sight of where we have come from and where we are going. I hear many people talking about, we just want things to go back to normal. I'm not much, of, uh, not so much attracted to t-shirt graphics, but I saw one the other day that sort of caught my eye. And it said this, normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. This is a quote from from C.S. Lewis that says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is is that we were made for another world. And that is certainly true. We really don't really want things to go back to normal. We want this world, but we want it under new management. We want the kingdom of God to come. I love to talk about the kingdom. I'm comfortable talking about the kingdom and would like to have talked about it to you tonight. But for some reason or other, the more I tried to go that direction, the Lord kept pulling me in another direction. And I've learned from experience that if you don't go the way he's going, you go alone. And that's not a good place to be. 
In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then in John 16 and 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I noticed in reading the first chapter of Joshua that as God was giving Joshua instructions about leading the people into the promised land, There were four times that he told Joshua, be courageous and of good courage and not to be afraid. Some translations say not to be terrified. The reason that he told them this was because they were going to encounter terrifying things. (laughs) But he said, be strong and courageous, and he repeated it four times. And I think it's the same thing that Jesus is saying to us. Don't be afraid of the future because I will be with you and I have overcome the world. Yes, you'll have, we will have tribulation, but Jesus has gone before us and he has overcome the world. So troubled times are probably not going away, at least not yet. So sometimes to regain our spiritual balance, we need to refocus ourselves. So I guess if I had to give a title to what I wanted to talk about tonight, it would be keeping the main thing, the main thing. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7, It says, for the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Some translations say, set my face like a stone. What I think it means is, is that that in these troubled times, we are to set our face forward. Let our eyes be looking straight ahead and keep our eyes on the prize. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, that begs the question, what is the main thing? Well, God has a main thing. And we should know what it is and how we fit into it. Think about this question for a moment. Why did God create everything? Why did he make man? Why did he choose Israel, send the prophets, redeem man, establish the kingdom? Why did he do the things that he did? There's a a verse in Ecclesiastes that has always fascinated me. It's in chapter 3 and verse 11, and I'm going to read to read it to you from the Amplified Bible. 
And it says this, he, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. You know, that is, that is a, I believe, a prophetic statement. God is telling us that at, that in the fullness of time, he is making everything beautiful and appropriate according to his timetable. And then this is a fascinating phrase. He says, he has also planted eternity or a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Uh, In the first chapter of, of John, John speaks of Jesus as the light that has come into the world. And he also describes him as being the light that lights every man that comes into the world. We all come into the world as sinners. Some respond to the word of God and some do not. But I think it's interesting to note that no man starts from zero. He has planted eternity, something, some spark of himself that only he can satisfy into the hearts of every one of us. And Jesus, he says, is that light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. In the Amplified Bible, it talks about eternity or a sense of divine purpose. And so what is that divine purpose of God? What is the overall objective of God's eternal plan? Well, let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We'll read verses 9 through 10. This is from the New King James Version. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one. Some translations say sum up all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Last Sunday morning, I was speaking a little bit about this in our local church, and I asked my granddaughter, I said, what is included in all things? And of course, being as smart as she is, she said, all things mean all things. And I said, well, what's left out of all things? And she paused for a moment, almost afraid to answer, and then she said, nothing. (laughs) And that's right. God is saying that his eternal purpose is in the fullness of time. He is going to do what he has determined in himself to do that pleases him, and that's to bring together in 
the fullness of Christ, everything, everything will be summed up in him. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, we read, And he is before all things, speaking of Christ, and in him all things consist, or in other translations, held together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence or supremacy. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The divine plan and purpose of God is that the glory of his son Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God's love from eternity, eternity past to eternity future would be manifest in all things. Now, Jesus, to be complete, must be the head of a body. And we are the members of his body. Ephesians 1, verse 11 And I'm reading from the J.B. Phillips translation. And here is the staggering thing. That in all which will one day belong to him, we have been promised a share. Since we were long ago destined for this by the one who achieves his purposes by his sovereign will. So that we as the first to put our confidence in Christ, may bring praise to his glory. This is the thing that I really want to make sure we go away with tonight, is that the reason we were created is to manifest the glory of Christ. And as it says in Ephesians 1.11, to bring praise to his glory. Now, we may be involved in a lot of things, and they're important things. We have our jobs. We have our family. We have our homes to take care of. We have chores to do. We have things that we are about. But the supreme reason that we are here is to manifest the glory of Christ Now, what does the word manifest mean? Well, the dictionary says it means to be readily perceived by the eye or the understanding, evident, obvious, apparent, and plain. That means it is incumbent on us as members of his body that his attributes are readily perceived by the eye or the understanding. They're evident, obvious, apparent, and plain to those around us. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, says this. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, 
This is Paul speaking. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There we see it again, that his eternal purpose is that the church should demonstrate to the principalities and powers in heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. Now, what's the word manifold mean? Well, it means having numerous different parts, elements, or features. So that says to us that we, as his corporate body, are to make known the numerous different parts and elements and glorious features of God's wisdom. Let's pause for a minute and let's think about the many individual truths of God, or we could say elements or numerous parts of his wisdom that have been revealed to God's people down through the years, some of which have only been restored really to the church as part of this move of the spirit. And here are just a few examples. The new birth, water baptism, infilling of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, the financial order of tithing, spiritual reality of Holy Communion, spiritual healing, withdrawal from denominationalism, Submission, the doctrine of head covering, spiritual gifts and callings, the structure of the church, the coming together of the body of Christ and sonship. Now, I'm sure you could think of many more, and I'm sure there are many more, but these are just some examples of the things that make up the manifold wisdom of God, that the body of Christ, the church, is called upon to demonstrate, not only to others in the world, but he specifically points out the principalities and powers in the heavenlies. Now, I don't know if that's just the evil uh, principalities and powers, or does it include good angels? I, I don't know. But I know that that is a big responsibility that he has given us. And that is part of his 
eternal purpose for us. And these individual truths of God are all organically connected. They're all connected to the center, which is Christ. The center of God's eternal purpose is his son. And all of these truths that have been revealed to us all flow from Christ himself. They are attributes, they're assets, they're characteristics, they are part and parcel of Jesus Christ himself. But they're organically connected. They can never be separated from Christ. They can never, they should never be taught or never be presented without showing or realizing the connection with the center who is Christ himself. Down through the history of the church, people have made one or maybe more of these truths the center of God's divine plan. When that happened, denominations formed around those particular truths And walls arose to separate God's people. The thing that prevents that or should prevent that from happening is the constant remembrance that every truth springs forth from the one who is truth. You remember Christ's criticism of the church at Ephesus as stated in Revelation 2 four through five. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. If we could think about these truths in this way, sort of imagine it as a wheel with Christ as the hub. And these individual truths of God are the spokes of that wheel. And when we keep Christ, who is the spirit of truth, at the center of God's truths, it takes the sharp edge off of the doctrines that we seek to minister. John 1.14 describes Jesus in this way. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. When Jesus taught these truths in his earthly ministry, he had a way of doing it that nobody else can do. He had this way of speaking the truth in love in such a way that it suckered people to him. At least those who had open hearts and and ears and eyes to see and ears to hear 
They were drawn to him. There was something about him. And I think it was the fact that he was full of grace and truth. And when he spoke truth, he spoke it with grace. When we separate the truths of God from Christ, who is the center of these truths, then it can, it can become legalism. And we don't want to build our, our, ourselves or our church around just truths without them centered on Christ. Now, let me say this. There's also such a thing as reverse legalism. Now, you might say, well, what's reverse legalism? Well, I made it up. So I guess if I made it up, I can I can define what it is. So I will try to do that. On the other side of this thing, on the other hand, as God's people, he has called us to manifest or make clear to the eyes of the principalities and powers in heavenlies the many aspects of the wisdom of God. Then we should want to know every way that he wants us to make that wisdom visible. We should want to know how every truth of God is centered in Christ. When we know, then we don't do things out of law or even worse, just reject it, but rather appreciate and enjoy the opportunity to display the glory of Christ. Let me just take an example for a minute, if you'll bear with me. Let's take the truth of head covering. I always appreciate when Brother Miller ministers on this because he reminds us that head covering, the doctrine of head covering, is for men and women. It's not just for women. And I would say that most men, they like to wear ball caps. They like to wear uh, cowboy hats or, or, or whatever. And I know when my boys were young, we went into a restaurant, I always made them take their hats off. And they didn't like to do that because of they, you know, they had hat head on their hair and all that sort of thing. So they didn't like that, but they did it anyway. But men come into church, they take their hats off to pray and prophesy. But I'll bet you that they never stop to think that in doing that, they're actually making Christ happy. Now, let's go over to the women's side. I know that most of you tonight are wearing head coverings. But I'll bet you that there are very few of you are experiencing great joy for wearing a head covering. That shouldn't be that way. You should be able to appreciate the fact that you are demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God. You are glorifying Christ 
in your body, you are manifesting the glory of Christ in what you're doing. And that should give you great joy and happiness. You should be happy because you're making Christ happy. And that goes for everything. Everybody probably struggles with something. It could be the principle of tithing. It could be speaking in tongues. I've heard people say when they're being to be prayed for to receive the baptism of the Spirit. Well, I want the baptism of the Spirit, but I don't want those tongues. Well, I guess you can choose to not do that. But as Brother Crawford says, the tongues come like in a shoe. They come along with it. And when you exercise that, you are making the manifold wisdom of God manifest to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. And that makes Christ happy. And that is the eternal purpose of God in us is to manifest the glory of Christ in our lives and as individuals and as members of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, and he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We exist not only to bring glory to Christ, but also to complete him. And that seems to be what the spirit of God is doing with the church right now. And he's working with us as individuals. Some of those some of those truths of God like salvation, being filled with the spirit, speaking in tongues, those kinds of things are are working to sanctify us as individuals. But there are also things that he is working to sanctify the corporate body of Christ. He's teaching us how to function in the structure of the church. He's teaching us how to come together as a body in, in, in partaking of the Holy Communion. He is teaching us about the importance of receiving and exercising spiritual gifts and ministry for the edifying of the other members of the body of Christ until we all grow up into the fullness of the image of the Son of God. John 3 verse 2 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In closing, I'd like to read the first four verses of Isaiah 42, because I want to leave with all of us this picture this image of the way the prophet Isaiah characterized Jesus. The center 
the one who is our center, the one who is the center of God's love from eternity past to eternity future. And this is what it says. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And this is what I love so much. A bruised reed he will not break. How often have we ourselves been bruised reeds that deserve to be broken? And we weren't. (laughs) He healed us as a broken reed. And a smoking flax he will not quench. He is the one who speaks in grace and in truth and who suckers even the one who is as a smoking flax, one who is almost ready to burn out. But what does Jesus do? He blows the Holy Spirit breath upon it until we as that smoking flax become a blazing flame. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that you have chosen in your word to reveal to us that which was a mystery until you have revealed it to your holy apostles and prophets years ago. And it's recorded in the epistles written by Paul. We thank you that you have told us what that purpose is. And now when we look back and we see all the things that you have done, now that you have revealed the mystery to us, we see all the clues and all the hints that you planted along the way. But we couldn't see it then. People couldn't see it then, but we can see it now. We can see that eternal grand purpose that you have to sum up all things in Christ, and that includes us, that includes church, your church, the body of Christ, wherever it exists across the globe. Lord, we are thankful to be members of your body, and we pray, Father, that as we seek to live out these truths uh, that, that are the manifold parts of the wisdom of God, that we will seek to understand and know how they are centered in your son, Jesus, that we we will seek to, to know it so that when we demonstrate it, we are not just following a law or some expectation, 
but we can enjoy the opportunity and the privilege of being able to make your heart happy. We want to participate in in your effort to accomplish your divine purpose. And as the scripture says, it in a, it's a staggering thing, but yet you have condescended to let us have a part in your inheritance. And for this, we are eternally grateful. Let us not bow up at anything you ask of us to do. Let us be ready and willing and thankful for the opportunity that we that you give us, even if it involves sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Father, we thank you for the church that you are gathering together. We doubt that you're done doing that yet. You're still working on it. Lord, while we are here upon this earth, we pray that you will enable us by your spirit to fill our part and our place in the body of Christ. Bless your people now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.